We have started a new series, a We Believe series, and today we're going to be talking about grace because one of our, oh, uh, our statement of faith in our bylaws, our articles, and I'll just read it to you. <clears throat> we believe in God's saving grace that calls all people to faith, repentance, confession, baptism, and to a new life and ministry through the Holy Spirit. And so today, today's message really is two parts. Today is the first part. And uh, it's entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace? See, the world doesn't understand Christians. Would you say amen to that? Uh, our culture has spun Christianity so much so that the average person, the average Joe, your neighbor, has many misconceptions about why we meet, what we do, what we think, what we believe, what it really means to be a Christian. Now this is an old stat, but it's a staggering stat. Are you ready for it? This came out of the Barna Group. Here it is. They polled high schoolers. 50% of the high schoolers could not connect Easter to the resurrection. That is astounding. That, that is just mind-boggling. Uh, I think it's funny, and I think it's sad when politicians try to suddenly be Christian, and you see them quote the Bible, and it's totally out of context, and you can tell that they don't even know what they're talking about, but they're reading from the book, and they're trying to pass themselves off as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's sad, isn't it? Because to the real Christian out there, when they misquote the Bible, we all are, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And, but here's the, here's the other side of that coin. To the rest of America, they're like, oh yeah, that's what Christianity is. That's what Christianity is. The world has misinformed, misguided, and misled what, the, what real Christianity is. So that, that's in part by the world philosophies. That's, that's empowered by by demonic power, this confusion about what the gospel really is. The propaganda from Hollywood, when they show a, a, a preacher on TV, rarely do they get it right. And they spin it that we're weirdos, so I'm a weirdo, I guess. Uh, that, and and uh, the church has been weak to, to actually speak out and the moral slide of our nation has been so rapid that the average Christian does not understand. I mean, the average American doesn't understand what Christianity is, is about. And believe me, your neighbor has an opinion about who you are because you have made yourself known to be a follower of Christ. And they probably have some things wrong about you or what you believe because they've been listening to the media, they've been listening to the world they think they know, but they don't know what following Christ really is. I don't know if you saw it this past week, but uh, one of the Bible colleges that I went to was in Fullerton, California. Pacific Christian College is, is where I started. And uh, there's a, right across the street is Cal State Fullerton. And a professor this week has published a paper, and it's getting a lot of fanfare. And it's talking about Christian privilege and how Christian privilege 
is the scourge of our society and how we need to disassemble it because it's a problem. Now, it's not the first time that culture has slandered Christians or tried to get rid of Christians. Nero found a place for his new palace, if you remember, lit a fire of that part of Rome so it could be burned, and then he'd go build his new palace. Of course, the fire went bigger than he thought it was going to, wiped out most of Rome, and he needed a scapegoat. And he blamed the Christians. And then the rumor was that we're cannibals. Because... Every Lord's Day, we celebrate with his body and blood. And so you could see how they could, see, see how the world misinterprets? They don't understand what we're talking about. One of the reasons why they've been so uh, misinformed is what I call, and this is your very first fill in the blank, bumper sticker theology, okay? Bumper sticker theology is what people are reading. Now, bumper stickers are not as popular as they were in the 70s and 80s. Remember that? Oh, my stars. You know, everybody had bumper stickers. Now they're not. But these, I'm about to show you, might offend you. And they should offend you, quite frankly, because some of them are blasphemous. And so I'm going to show you how we Christians put things on our bumpers and then how people that do not like Christianity, what they put on their bumpers. Okay, let's look at the first slide. Christian, I'm kind of a big deal. Now, I don't know if that's a real popular bumper sticker, but you're basically, Christians are saying, I'm a big deal because I'm special because I'm a child of God. I, I give that. It's a little offensive, I, even to me, you know, that I'm going around, I'm a big deal. But do you see the second one? It's a church, and in front of the church, there are nuts. And what does that say? Church is just a nut factory. All of you are screw-ups. All of you are deplorables. All of you, you know, you got your Bible, you got your guns, you got your this, you got your that. You're a nut job, is, is what the bumper sticker. How about the next one? Bumper sticker theology. Real men love Jesus. That's a real bumper sticker. Have you seen that one? Yeah, it's, it's out there. It Im kind of implies that if you don't leave, live, uh, love Jesus, you're not a real man. But look at the other one that's just as popular. Real men reject Jesus. How about the next slide? Got Jesus? You know, the famous got milk? God exists only in the small minds of the ignorant and the fearful. That's a real bumper sticker, folks. How about, so, so you're like, okay, bumper sticker theology, where are they, why are they saying things like that? Do they not know the gospel? Have they never heard of Jesus? Why are they attacking what God has offered them? Well, what about the next one? Oh, how will you spend eternity, smoking or non-smoking? I've seen that one on bumper stickers. Wow. And then so many Christians, so few lions. Oh, that's... That's hideous, referring back to the days of Nero when he fed Christians to the lions for sport. Do you, do you know what Nero did? He would take a dead animal like a cow. He would take the children of the parents, 
they'd open the, the stomach lining, they'd put the small child alive in the dead cow and sew that dead cow out, up, and then feed that cow to the lions while the parents watched. Now that isn't evil. It is evil. But that's what the, these, these people that are buying these bumper stickers, that's their theology. That's what they think of God. That's what they think of Christians. Well, how about the, the next one? Stop, drop, and roll won't work in hell. That's kind of wrong message. I think that we want to really get out there. And then Jesus died. He ain't coming back, so get over it. Oh, man, that really irritates me. Real, though. Okay, let's skip the next one, but let's go to the last one. Skip that one. Uh, yeah, that's it. John 3.16, great. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then this very offensive bumper sticker to us. You keep believing, I'll keep evolving. Okay, here's the next fill in the blank that's important for us to understand. First of all, we shouldn't allow the culture to define what we believe, right? But here, here's the next slide. Here's the fill in the blank. Communicating partial information, the gospel, without the context of a relationship is a disaster. Don't, the things that were on the Christian bumper stickers are all true. But when we try to to present the gospel without really presenting the gospel in its full context of a relationship with the creator living God who loves them, it will be misunderstood, it will be misconstrued. Mis, uh, uh, no wonder the culture thinks that we think that we're better than everybody else because we don't really communicate as good as we are, as well as we should. Now, here's the second fill in the blank. And this is what gives you understanding into their theology. Number two, point number two is this, the world's paradigm. We earn everything in the world system. Are you with me on that? From the time we are infants until we die, we are graded on our behavior. We're graded on our performance. We're graded on our scores. We're graded on our accomplishments. We're graded on our bank account. We're graded on our work. We're graded on our marriages. We're graded on our parenting. And here's the world's paradigm. We earn what is due. Are you with me on that? We get rewarded for our behavior. You reap what you sow, the yin-yang. You study hard, you get good grades, you're going to get further on. If you don't study, you're going to get what? Lousy grades. If you work hard, you may get a promotion. If you don't work hard, you may lose your job. If you abide by the law before 2020, if you abide by the law, you didn't get in trouble. And in 2020, if you break the law, you were supposed to get in trouble. That's the way, you see this cause and effect, this, this how it works? You play by Hollywood's rules, political correctness, and you'll succeed. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So the world operates in this, that, that's their system. That is the system. And we have to understand that's the system that you escaped from. 
In addition to earning your keep, though, there's one other little wrinkle. We're all in competition against one another. We're in competition for the job. We're in competition for the grades. We're in competition for the promotion. We're in competition for salvation and the world's mind. Now, I want to show you a graph. Here's the typical teacher's graph, at least it was in the 70s, okay? It's called grading on a curve. How many of you remember grading on a curve? Okay, 75 question test. This guy got 63 right. Doesn't matter if he knew all the information. <laughs> he got the highest score, so he gets what? An A. Now the bulk of the students are supposed to get what? C's, right? And then the guy at the end that gets the worst score, he gets what? He gets an F. That's called grading on a curve. It's the most common method of scoring. But we, well, it, it, it does in the world system. And that is, if we all have to take a test, Micah, and you do the best, what do you think you should get? Uh, an, a. an A. That's right. And if you do the worst, what should you get? An F. So you earned your A, right? Because you did better than everybody else. Doesn't matter if you knew the material. You're, you're competition against everybody else. Do you see that? That you are in competition against everybody else. Your value, catch this, is determined where you are on the curve. So let me say that again because it's important. Your value in the world system is determined by where you find yourself on the curve. The highest paid athletes on the curve they're highest paid because they're on the top of the curve. And the lowest paid athlete, he's at the bottom of the curve on his talent. The valid Victorian, he, she or he, or she, he or she is at the top. And the dropout is where? On the curve. Bottom of the curve. So we're all competing. This, again, this is the world system. We're competing against one another for value. I just need to be better than you. Now, this paradigm, it breeds jealousy, envy, strife, anger, inadequacies, insecurities, distortions, Especially this guy gets vilified. I don't know if you were an egghead. How many of you were eggheads? One egghead, two eggheads. Okay, that means you always ace the test. You just walked in, you didn't study, you just sat down and you aced the test. Everybody was upset at you because you made an A of 63. Had you, if you, had you just missed some, you'd be over here, and then all of these people would be getting A's, right? So a Christian comes along and says, I'm under a new system. A new way of determining value. I'm under grace, not a curve. And those who are locked into the curve feel cheated. Christian comes along and says, yeah, I got an F, but I still uh, am graduating. 
what? Hey, I am the, I'm a bigger sinner than you, Roger, but I'm still on my way to heaven. What? Instantly, that's not fair. Because I earned all that stuff. And you were just given it. Because the word grace means unmerited favor. It means that the root word in the original language means it's, it's a gift. You don't earn it. See, that's the difference between the world system that says you earn everything that you get. And you have to earn. You have to earn salvation. Now, Christians aren't above the rules. But rules don't matter anymore. Because we're no longer living on the curve. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Right? We're no longer on the curve. Obeying the rules do not make me or break me. It's knowing the God who loves me that makes all the difference. He's the one that assigns me value and assigns you worth. So there are some misunderstandings, and there's first misunderstanding is this. I don't know. Do I have a fill in the blank on the next one? Grace. Misunderstanding number one. And I'm talking about believers and non-believers because believe it or not, there are some Christians out there that do not understand grace still. Grace. A Christian has been set free from rules determining his worth. That's why David can sleep with Bathsheba, kill her husband, and God still says, he's a man after my own heart. Because see, David's not on the curve anymore. He got off the curve. God gave him grace. Christians have been set free from the curve of earning God's approval. <laughs> Again, thank you, Jesus. Turn in your Bibles now to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to pick it up at verse 6. says, for while we were still weak, powerless, weak meaning powerless, just totally powerless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Many of you would take a bullet for your loved one. Maybe. <laughs> Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The world assigns your value based on their curve. But God's paradigm operates so differently. God's system is called grace. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Grace is so misunderstood. And like I said just a moment ago, even by Christians, the researcher George Barna, who I've already quoted, back in 2006, so it's kind of old stats, and I actually think the stats might be worse, 62% of the people that are Christ, they claim to be evangelical Christians, 62% of the people believe that a good person can earn their salvation. What? You cannot 
take grace and the curve and combine them and think that you've got it. These people are afraid to die. Because if you're not living under grace, you're afraid to die because everybody begs for a little more time because they want to be a little bit higher up on the curve because they still believe in the curve and they don't believe in the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. What can you add to the cross? You cannot add anything to the cross. Oh, here, God, let me help you. That's what we're saying. When we want to stay on the curve, instead of just saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for inviting me into a real personal relationship with you. Now, here's a philosophical and a foundational question. Let's go to the next slide. Does doing Christian things make you a Christian? Or does Christ make you a Christian? See, you're living on the curve if you're doing this. Now, you know the old adage, you can take a pig, you can put a dress on it, you can put lipstick on it, and you can put it on your couch. Still doesn't make it a person you want to spend time with, right? Christ makes you a Christian. When you become a follower of Christ, he makes you, he gifts you, he gifts you his name. Just because you're doing, in air quotes, Christian things will not make you a Christian. You are a Christian because Christ has a claim on you. Are you with me on that? Or is, is that making sense? Paul asked a similar question to the Galatians. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by being good or because you believed in Jesus? That's the question they asked the Galatians. And now we, we sometimes like to be strict with rules because we, it puffs up our self-worth and our, and our own value. But that's just legalism. And legalism is deadly. Legalism will lead you away from grace. Legalism is a scourge. Legalism is what the world sees. Because legalism is self-righteousness. We just found out uh, grace is not about anything we've done. Amen? Grace is about the gift that God has given us. Legalism is the curve dressed up in Christian clothes. Did you catch that? Legalism is the curve dressed up in Christian clothes, phrases, habits. Galatians 5.1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Free from the curve. We're free from the curve. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't get back on that curve. Paul was amazed at the Galatians. He was amazed, he was astonished that they were leaving Jesus, the free gift, back to go to the curve because the curve is comfortable. And if Christians have a hard time understanding grace, what do you think the world has a hard time with it? If, if, if half of us don't get it, how's the world going to understand what real grace is? 
You're a Christian not because you do Christian things. You're a Christian because God gave you his name and he claims you. You can't earn the name Christian. You realize that? You can't earn the name Christian. Just like you can't earn the name Wilson. Unless you're adopted. Anybody want to be adopted by us? Then you, I'll give you my name. You cannot earn the name Christian. It can only be given to you by Jesus. Are, are you with me on that? And, and that's why we make bumper stickers because when, when, when Christians see grace and forgiveness and acceptance, this is the bumper sticker that we see. Let's go to the next slide. We say we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. Have you seen that one at least? Yeah. yeah. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Because we understand that it was a free gift. But the concept is foreign to anybody that's in the world. They're like, how did you do that? That's not fair. So Christians do not think that we're better than everybody else, right? But you know what? We feel better about ourselves. Did, did, you, catch the, did you catch that? Christians don't think they're better than everybody else, but we feel better about ourselves because Christ has given us the value, not the curve. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm not any longer Shamu jumping through the hoop to get my piece of squid. Are you with me on that? I don't have to jump through hoops to have God love me or accept me. He takes all the pressure off because I'm no longer on the curve and I can be filled with joy. You can be filled with joy because I'm off the curve. And the world says, why do you get to be happy and not me? Why do you get to say that your sins are forgiven? Why do you get an A and you didn't even have to take the test? That's so unfair. That, they're right. We don't get what we deserve, right? <laughs> if it had to be about being fair, we'd all be dead. But God is a gracious God. And he offers his gift to anyone that would come to him and receive him. And so therefore it is not privilege, it is opportunity. The door is knocking, who's at the door? Are you gonna let the savior in? So this is how our culture spins grace. They call Christians self-righteous because they don't live on our curve anymore. Their acceptance uh, or righteousness isn't coming from the curve and they're living under a different paradigm and that's not fair. Oh yeah, that's what the, the rules of the curve are. You don't play, play by the world's rules and you've gone off the curve, you are to be vilified, you are to be hated, you are to be unlined, you are to be twisted and your words twisted because we've rejected the world system of trying to earn our salvation. You know the old adage, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. When you scorn the world, they're upset at you. When you jump off the curve into grace, they're upset with you. Do you remember the show, and I don't mean to be offensive, it was on ABC, what, eight years ago, and it was a show called, you're not going to believe this, Good Christian Bitches. Do you remember that show? Oh yeah, the la it was finally canceled. It was about a show showing Christians are just hypocrites. 
the last show garnered 5.6 million people wanting more of his uh, Christian hypocrisy on display for the world to see. A show about showing Jesus in his worst blasphemous light by his followers. A show that was dedicated to making fun of Christians. The world doesn't understand Christianity, does it? Okay, misunderstanding one is grace, right? Misunderstanding two, I think we have a slide, terminology. We use words that they don't even understand. They don't understand them at all. Or they have different meanings. And, and really, I'm talking about self-righteousness and Christ-righteousness. I don't want to get heady, and I, I, I want you to grasp what I'm trying to communicate, that we see our behavior as following Jesus, and we call that Christ-righteousness. Are you with me on that? The world sees our behavior of trying to live righteously, and they say that's self-righteous. Two completely different things, though, right? Self-righteous is about, I'm, gonna, I'm back on the curve. Christ-righteousness means I want to do everything for the glory of God. And since they don't understand grace, they think that, that we're back on the curve, so to speak. And when the world labels someone self-righteous, it could be, but maybe it's Christ-righteousness. So, for example, do you remember Tim Tebow? I know it's, a, it's an old, but it was probably, he's the, probably the most famous Christian athlete out there. Very vocal about his faith, Tim Tebow. They see a man who is living under grace, and they can't understand it. The sports media does not understand Tim Tebow. And since the only paradigm they know is the curve, they get upset at Tim Tebow and call him self-righteous. Is Tim Tebow really being self-righteous or is he just being Christ-like? Are, are you with me on that? Somebody, thank you. Nod your head. Thank you. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Christians who are living off the curve are full of grace and truth because we're no longer on the curve. The world will t trash talk Tim Tebow, but, but you remember also Michael Vick? How many of you remember Michael Vick? He's the NFL player that was raising dogs to devour one another. The world says, oh, that's okay. We're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about Michael Vick, but boy, we're going to, and I'll use this word, crucify Tim Tebow. Because Tim Tebow is self-righteous. No, he's not. If you've seen any interviews, if you've read any of the things that he's written, he's not self-righteous, he's Christ-righteous, just like you are. When you're at work, are you ever accused of being self-righteous just because you're living for Jesus? It happens. You're trying to live for Jesus and people will label you because they don't understand grace and they think you're on the curve and they think you're trying to be the A student and, and ace everybody else out. You don't play by the world's rules anymore. And they don't like it. You're going to be called self-righteous even though hopefully you are Christ-righteous. 1 Corinthians 2.14 
and 15 says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, are folly to, to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Tim Tebow knows right from wrong, but he's off the curve, and so he doesn't have to be judged by God. Oh, I feel like I'm, I'm I want to move on. I want, I want to make sure I'm thoroughly hitting this. There's another verse that we won't go to, and it's in 1 Peter, and, they, and basically we read it in Bible study last week or two, and it's like, the world doesn't understand why you don't join them in the flood of dissipation. They don't understand why you don't go out and party. They don't understand why you've left your old way of life. They don't understand why you've jumped off the curve. And some of your, your relatives might not get you. They might call you self-righteous when you're just trying to be Christ-righteous. But remember, I don't think I'm better. I just sure feel better about who I am. And I guess that's what they see. So, God's paradigm, grace, is rooted in love, and the world's paradigm is rooted in works. It's rooted in a curve. Do Christians think that they're better than everybody else? And the answer is resoundingly no. But we've been set free from the curve, and the world doesn't understand it, and they're going to be upset. So, misunderstanding grace, misunderstanding terminology, here's the last third misunderstanding Christian motivation. And I, I, I love this. When you're on the curve, you have to earn God's love, and that's why you obey. But when you're in grace, because God loved you, you just give it over to Him. Do you see how different that is? The world does not understand this at all. It doesn't understand grace because they're locked into the curve. They're just locked into the curve. But our motivation, our motivation is out of love. Ask any man, hey, do you cheat on your wife? Because you, you don't, let me rephrase that. I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, what's the movie? Help me out. Billy Crystal. Uh, Dude Ranch, going out to Arizona. City slickers. City slickers. Two men are riding on a horse and a man says, hey, would you cheat on your wife if you had the opportunity that nobody would know? And of course he says, no, I wouldn't because I would know. And then he rides off. Here's the deal what I'm trying to get at. The reason you don't cheat on your wife is because you love her, not because you're afraid of getting caught. But if you're in God's grace, you love God because he loves you. You obey God because he loves you. You do right because you want to please the Father because he loves you, not because you're afraid of getting caught. Amen. Told the, but the world doesn't understand that motivation. It just doesn't. So how do you unspin culture spin on God's grace? Well, don't be self-righteous. There's no longer a curve. You don't have to... You can appreciate God's gifts, life, laughter, food, music, friends, creation, and you have a thankful heart. Because the curve doesn't matter anymore, does it? And you're just filled with thankfulness because 
You're given grace. You're given this gift. You taught you stop taking yourself so seriously. You just don't. If you if you lose the game, it's okay. You're less critical and petty and judgmental because you're no longer competing against anybody else. And you can laugh at yourself and learn from your mistakes. The day you begin to grow up is the day you begin to laugh at yourself. When you can laugh at yourself and say, oh boy, did I really mess up. Oh well, because I'm no longer on the curve. I'm no longer on the curve. I'm, I've been unshackled and you have been unshackled from the curve. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says it so concisely. Let me just read it and then we'll, we'll finish. Paul writes to the Ephesians that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, following after the ways of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. But God, so rich in mercy, so uh, because of his great love that he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, and our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up and seated with him in the heavenlies so that God can show you how much he loves you. And you have been prepared for good works. Not that you can boast because it's your way of saying, oh, Papa, oh, Father, oh, Daddy, oh, Abba, I'm so glad that you love me and I want to do exactly what you do. Forgiveness is a part of grace. But I think the gift, the greater gift, the best gift is his invitation to come live in the kingdom now. It's not a ticket to heaven. You get to live in the kingdom now and leave the world and the curve behind and soak up his grace. And if you have not, if you do not understand grace, today's the day to say, God, I'm, I'm tired of the curve, I'm tired of the rat race, I'm tired of competing, and I'm tired of trying to be self-righteous. It is a day of just saying, I accept your grace. I accept your grace. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, and we're so thankful. That is part of that response, that loving response that we are overwhelmed with your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness and all we can do. We can't pay you back. We haven't earned it. All though we can do, all that we can do is just say thank you. Father, as we get ready to receive the emblems, I'm glad that we're not cannibals in that sense but we are receiving the bread and the juice that represents the blood saying, Our, your life is in us. You are in us. And now we give our life over to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.